Man, I'm just so fired up about what God is doing. And today, I believe I have the answer to every question you might have. You know, you might have a question of, man, pastor, you know, I'm tired of the bill collectors chasing me or, wow, I don't know if this relationship is going to make it. Or I don't know if I can get over a relationship I just came out of. I, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it through these troubled waters. I don't know if my body can handle much more pain. I'm so physically ill. Maybe you don't even understand why you're uncomfortable. Maybe things are seem great financially and you have an amazing career or you have an amazing financial situation and you have amazing friends and even an amazing family, but inside you, there's an emptiness. Inside you, there's a darkness. Inside you, there's crevices that your best friends don't know about. Your parents, your children don't don't know about. Your siblings don't know about. There's crevices deep in you that your own spouse doesn't know about. Sometimes you can't even define it. You say, Pastor, how do I answer that question? Well, you're in the right season for it. See, it all began seven days ago on what we call Palm Sunday, which is really in the Jewish uh, calendar and in the Old Testament talks about it being the feast of the Passover. And as the Passover kicks off, that's the Holy Week. And during that Holy Week, it kicks off with Jesus coming into Jerusalem and he's riding down the streets on a donkey. But before he started riding down the streets on a donkey, the Bible talks about him approaching Jerusalem. And man, I I think about that when Jesus approached Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. It's the city of David. It's where God dwells. and, and, And he's approaching this beautiful city up on this mountain. And I've been there probably 10 times or more. And, and, and it's amazing when you approach it, even today in modern times, when you approach Jerusalem and you start going up these windy roads, up this hill, and the city is on the hill of Mount Moriah. Moriah is made up of two Hebrew words, and they basically mean this. They basically mean God revealed or God seen. You see, my heart today is, is that it's great. I mean, the worship has been awesome. The Nuggets we've received today has been awesome. I'm sure, man, our parking team and first impressions team have been awesome. But the thing we want to be awesome more than anything else is that you see Jesus. Because if you fail to see the lamb today and his suffering, then we failed you. And today is such a critical day because so many lives lie in the balance of it. You see, this Holy Week kicked off in the month of Nisan. Nisan in the Hebrew calendar is the first month coming out of the winter season. And it's when the crops were starting to flourish and springtime is there. And it it represents this. The reason God wanted to do what he did by bringing Jesus in in the lamb, the sacrificial lamb during this time goes all the way back really to Exodus 12 whenever Moses was ready to bring the children out of slavery, out of Egypt. And God told them to prepare for Passover and they had to go, each family select a lamb and bring it to their house. 
sacrifice that lamb and prepare it for a worship offering. And then they were to take the blood of that lamb and paint it over their doorpost so that when the spirit of death came, the angel of death came through Egypt to take the lives of the firstborn of the Egyptians, anyone that had the blood over their door was the, the death angel passed by. You see, it was the day, what we call Palm Sunday, was their day of selecting their lamb. And here Jesus is. He's been selected by God. And now he's selected by man because they're celebrating and waving their palms and they're doing all these cool things. And the same crowd that celebrated him and the same crowd that were so pumped he was there just in a few short hours were the same crowd that was dragging him out of the Garden of Gethsemane the place of crushing where the olives were crushed and the oil was brought forth. It was the same crowd that drug him out of his season of prayer, took him in to the, to the temple, which was the house of God, and judged him there that he should die and be crucified. Now, there was more to the story. He had to go in front of Pontius Pilate and King Herod and all of that. But within about a 12-hour period now, from the time he was drug out of the Garden of Gethsemane, He's hanging Friday on a cross between two thieves. And we realize that what took place during that time was when he died and took his last breath and then he was carried off and prepared and buried in a tomb. That represented man dying because Jesus even called himself the son of man. And it's interesting that the day he was offered up and died was the sixth day of the week. And it's interesting that Genesis in Genesis 1 tells us that man was created on the sixth day. Sixth day is the the day of man. This is the day that man was created. And now this is the day that the second Adam comes and dies and pays for the sin of all humanity, not only then, but those to come. And when he rises from the dead, he defeats death, hell, and the grave. And he releases the Holy Spirit to come so that every one of us, he's no respecter of persons, can simply ask Jesus Christ to come and live in our heart and be our Lord and Savior. You see, this is the season of new beginnings. This is the Nissan, this is the time of everything begins new. But once he was risen, it began the new day. And you and I live in the new day where we no longer just have to hope, we only have to receive and to ask him to come into our lives. You see, I don't know what your problem is, but this morning I know the answer. And the answer is all about what Jesus did on Calvary for you and for I. I want to share a little kind of an illustration with you here. And I think that it will help you as you come out of your winter season. And it's simply this. The Bible tells us that in the book of Isaiah... I think it's Isaiah 12, verse 2, that he became sin for us, that he 
became our Messiah. And as he became our Messiah, the Bible says that he bled, he paid the price for us, and his blood was as scarlet, as red. And through the power of his blood, it made his children white as snow. And when I think of this scarf, and it's, I guess, kind of scarlet, red or scarlet, whatever you want to call it. And I think of our life, and if I had spent several hours a few days ago taking a white scarf and dipping it in a scarlet or a red dye and kept it in there for several hours and brought it out, and then you would look at it, and a few days later you're looking at me and say, you know, really, I'd like to not have a scarlet scarf or a red scarf. I'd really like to have a white scarf. And you would say, well, yes, but I would say, well, really that's impossible because it's already been dyed. How could it become white? It's really impossible to take all of that dye out. I mean, you can re-dye it and kind of cover it up and make it close, but to make it perfect, white as snow, to make it like it was originally is in man's way, simply impossible. The only way you really could do it is go back and change time and go back in the past and change the past and make it new, originally like you made it white. You say, yeah, but how does that work? You see, in our own way, how can we go back in our past and change the past and take that which is scarlet and make it white? How, how can we do that? I, well, it's impossible. We can't go back in our past and change anything because our past is committed. It already happened. And, and our sin has already happened. The scarlet of our life, the sins that we have committed are where? In our past. And therefore, they're finished. They're done. They're over. They're history. How can we go back and make them new. Well, the truth is we really can't, but God can. You say, well, how can God go back into my past and make my sins that are scarlet as my heart, my life as white as snow? Well, I gotta ask you a question. Who made time? Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is, a, he is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, present, all the time, everywhere, omnipotent, king of all kings and lord of all lords. And he gave time to us as a gift. The Bible says he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. There is no beginning and there is no ending. And, and he is really infinite or infinite and we're finite and we're living in a finite time. But what I want you to grasp today is our God is an infinite God and there is no time in him and the same God that can change time the same God that's living in your past your present and your future because he always was he is and he always will be he's the alpha and the omega the beginning and the ending today he is saying this if you would allow him to and if you would request him to he would go back into your past and take every sin and create or make a brand new 
you. That you would become a new creature or creation in Christ Jesus. And old things would pass away. And all things would become new. One translation says your old life would pass away and you would have a new life born to you. That's what we talk about, born again. We become what? Born again, what? Not that he goes back in your past and fixes it up. Not that he goes back and makes it just as. No. Bible says that what? You became a new life, a new spiritual being, a new creature, a new creation. He didn't go back and re-dye this to try to get it, you know, a little better. No, no, no. He went back and made you brand new. You see, that's what being born again is. Just as Nicodemus asked Jesus in John 3, how, what must I do to be born again? And he said that you must be, I can't be born again because I'm an old man and my mother's deceased. How can I go back up in a womb of a deceased woman that's an old man and come out a new man? And Jesus gave, it was really talking about this illustration. He was saying, how can I go back with this scarlet life and go back up into a dead world and a dead life and a dead walk that could produce no live seed. How can I go into a dead womb to release a live seed of life? It's impossible. And Jesus said to enter the kingdom of God, what? You got to believe. To see the kingdom of God, you got to believe. But what? On both occasions, he said, you must be born again. So what happened was whenever we gave our life to Christ, the scriptures tell us this. Let me actually read this passage to you in its fullness in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is what united with the anointed one, this is the voice translation. Therefore, if anyone is united with the anointed one, the person is a new creation. The old life is gone, and see, a new life has begun. So the answer to your old problems is die to them and allow them to be deceased and go off into eternity, and you receive a new life that doesn't have the old problems. Now, I'm not saying that you won't have remnants of problems and things that you did in your past, but you can be forgiven of those and become a new creature and handle those situations and handle the remnants of those problems, not alone, but with Christ in you, the hope of glory, being your strength and being your soon coming king and being your right arm and being the one that makes you righteous and whole and pure white as snow in him. Verse 18, it says, and all this is a gift from the creator God who has pursued us and brought us into a restored and healthy relationship with him through the anointed. And he has given to us the same mission, the ministry of reconciliation. To bring others back to him, he orchestrated this. The anointed one who had never experienced sin became sin for us so that in him, we might embody the very righteousness of God. 
You see, salvation, the impossible, becomes a reality. The guilty becomes the innocent. The tainted becomes the pure. The rejected becomes those who were always the beloved children of God. And our sins, which are scarlet, become white as snow. So when we begin to think about what salvation is, it's not just a new beginning, but you become a new creation in God, the hope of his glory. And I think the thing that we deal with in this life that really robs us of, of that is, think about it like this. It's, it's, it's like Jesus' first miracle. Anybody remember what that was? Anybody remember what was it? Turning water into wine. How can you turn water into wine? Because wine could not be fermented if grapes weren't grown, right? Wine could not be uh, wine if it wasn't, grapes weren't grown. Wine could not be wine if it wasn't aged or fermented. But Jesus took this water at the wedding and when they said, you know, wow, the, the, the cheap wine's at the beginning so everybody could get pretty drunk and you, 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 the, the, the good wine is right there at the beginning then at the end it's the cheap stuff because nobody knows how good it is anyway. And how can you take this process of water, grow the grapes, ferment them, age them, bring them back ready to go, better than the cheap wine, place it in a container and when someone drinks it says, this is the best wine I've ever had. Why do you save the good wine to the end? Because God can go into your past where there seemed to be no hope and no way and make a new life out of it. He can go back and take something as clear and as simple as water and turn it into grapes and age it in time and bring it into a new place with a new purpose a new plan to accomplish. You see, it's not just saving you from the past to heaven. It's about making a new you with a new plan, a new purpose for being and a new destiny on this planet. So it's much more than just getting by, you know, we said in Eastern Kentucky, you know, get by the, your, by, by the hair of your chitty chin chin and the skin of your teeth, you know, just slipping by. No, no. You see, the problem I believe is this, and, and, and I'll wrap up with this. I really believe the problem is, is this. We focus so much on our life that then when the real problems hit and we can't handle it anymore, then we start focusing on something better. And eventually we even start focusing every now and then on heaven because we start thinking about the hell we're living in. How much worse must the real hell be? So now let's go in and let's start thinking about how I can project myself not only in the future, but forever. And the the issue is not that we're really wanting to get to heaven. The issue is that we don't receive heaven into our life. You see, the whole purpose of God is for you and I to receive him into our life. I want to ask you, where does, where does salvation come from? 
Well, we know it comes from Jesus, our Messiah, Savior. When we look out at the sky, when you leave the building today and look up, the sky is a perfect shadow of an eternal heaven. Doesn't mean it'll look just like that or be that way, but it's a, the Bible says it's a, a shadow, a type and shadow of heaven, the heavenlies, the layers and all that. So as we look at the heavens and we look at the layers, how vast and deep and forever it is. And we've been taught, oh, you know, we'll get on these little clouds and float around. No, it's not what heaven is. But see, we strive to earn this heaven that we see out there and we can't explain it, but we know it's gotta be better than the world or the life that we're living in right now. So the Bible says everything that's in the natural began in the spirit, right? So first of all, Genesis 1 says there was nothing until God spoke. So out of nothing, he spoke and certain things were created on certain days. It came from nothing into certain matters, right? Materials and things. So where was God when he spoke that? He wasn't on earth because he hadn't created earth. Earth came from where? God, where was God? In heaven. So everything that's on earth came from heaven. So why are you trying to take your earthly wisdom to get to heaven? Because you can't get to heaven with your earthly wisdom or works or deeds. We can only get to heaven not by, not by reaching our hands to heaven. We can only get to heaven by receiving the hands that reach down from heaven to receive us. So it's not by our works. It's not by how good you are how bad you are, waiting to the last shot or the last second or the last moment. I've been at those buzzer beater going home parties. Unfortunately, as a pastor, many times I'm called in to help win someone that you didn't have the nerve to talk to as they're taking their last breath, but you're all tore up about it. And I've been there and usually what I see, that's not always the case. Many times you weep for many years and try They're coming to the end and they know they're going to take their final breath in a matter of minutes or hours or even days and they know they got to get right because they don't want to go to hell. And when I come in, you know, really, Josh, the number one thing that I found, and I mean 98% of the time, is this. The one thing keeping them from accepting Jesus is not is he real, is heaven real, is hell real. I mean, there's even religious people don't even believe in hell now. I wonder where they'll be. But anyway, so, 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 so just saying, just saying, it's the truth, just saying. So, so I'm wondering, as I'm ministering to people, I realize they don't think that a God that they've cursed and made fun of or been a good person and ignored and lived and didn't need to this point would accept them. But he gave us the, the story in the Bible, didn't he, about a master that owned a vineyard and he had vineyards working all day, toiling in the vineyard to work all day. And then the last few hours, he brought in a bunch of new workers. 
And then at the end of the day, the master paid them all equal for their labor. And the ones that had been there all day working hard were upset. How did that person that just got saved days or hours before, before they died, before it was payday, judgment day, before it was payday, how, how, how did they get the same reward as me? And I've been serving for 12 hours in the field today, or I've been serving for 20 years in the field for the master. And at the end of the day, this person gets the same reward as I do. So it's not about clocking time. It's about receiving heaven into your heart. Well, how do we, how do we pray? Jesus said this, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. What? As it is in heaven. Didn't say thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth. God's plan, God's will, God's creation all began in heaven. And it's our, his goal and our goal to get our will in alignment with heaven, not this earth. Let me ask you, if we have a question, we have a problem, and, and I want to solve a problem, Michael, I want to solve a problem. But I haven't been able to figure it out, so it looks like This problem I have, I think about the problem, I worry about the problem, I try to figure out the problem, but for some reason, the problem can't answer itself. Did you get that? Because I've thought about it, I've prayed about it, I've talked about it, I've begged, I've pleaded, but the problem is still there. The problem hasn't changed, it's just got, unless it gets worse. You know what I found out in that situation? A problem can never give the answer. The only place you can get an answer is from the answer. The problem can never give you the answer. The only place I can get the answer is from the answer. And you want to know who the answer is? His name is Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the answer. He is all-knowing and all truth. He is Lord. He is God. He is Yeshua, which means our healer, our deliverer, our freedom, our peace, our joy. You know, it's kind of like this, Sherry. It's kind of like we look at people and we're trying to figure out how to get to heaven or at least escape hell. Maybe not get to heaven, but at least escape hell. And it's kind of like this. And, and we're trying to figure something out in our life and we can't figure it out. We can't figure out how to get healing or how to get peace, how to get relief. We're, trying to, we're just trying to, we just keep focusing on the problem, trying to find an answer, focusing on the problem without going to the answer. It's kind of like this. Uh, a non-swimmer, a man that could not swim out in the middle of the lake. And you keep saying to him, it's okay, you got this. And he's going, he's coming back up the first time. No, just do this, you got this. He's fighting for his life. He comes back up, you know, they say the third time is it, right? And he's going, come on, man, you got this. You see, the person on the boat may know the answer. Maybe they know how to swim. But if the problem keeps trying to give itself the answer, it's going to drown. 
What kind of lifeguard would you be if you kept looking at the person that couldn't swim drowning in a lake and told them to figure it out? The answer can only come from the one that's the lifeguard who can not only swim, but swim well enough to save someone else. And some of you are peddling water right now, but you're not doing your job saving others. You see, now he's the great lifeguard, but he wants many lifeguards. So I'm moving from beyond right now to those that don't know him as Savior to us that's sitting on the sidelines treading water for ourselves, for our family, for our retirement, right? For our joy, for our fun. We're treading water while people are dying all around us. And we have the answer. We just need to throw it to them and pull them in. So today I'm giving both parties the answer. The Bible says that really today is what? The day of salvation. Jesus, the name Jesus came up from Yeshua, a Hebrew name. And the Hebrew name Yeshua came from Yasha. So Yasha is the part that talks about all the freedom, the healing, the most amazing thing. It's the answer to every possible need you could have, Yasha. Yeshua came from Yasha. See, but Yeshua is more than what something can do. Yeshua is a name of the one that is doing and is. So Jesus, Emmanuel, became our Yeshua. Not the one just pointing to God, but he became God of salvation. He's not an adjective. He's a noun. He is salvation. He is God. He is Son. He is Lord. He is the Savior. Just like we have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son. He is the Lord. And He is the Savior. But here's the powerful part as we get ready to pray. He's not only the Savior... He is salvation itself. 